So we are recording a little bit late, uh, and by a little bit late, I mean two days later than we normally do. Um, Sam needs to go to bed, so I think we're just gonna, like, this isn't a washout of Bleach Rewatch Podcast. I'm your co-host, Lily. (laughs) And I'm your co-host, Sam, and this is going to end up somehow being, like, the longest episode of our lives. It's it's probably gonna be like simultaneously like the longest episode and the shortest episode maybe I don't fucking know we're th- this is a big one folks um I do want to go ahead and before we jump right into it uh remind everybody that next week is going to be our season three finale uh if you have any questions comments or anything just send it in to us and we will probably read it on the show uh just. Yeah, hit us up. I'm especially curious, uh, just before we jump in, I'm especially curious to know about uh, our listeners' reactions to the twists and turns that these two episodes present. Uh, either the first time you saw these episodes, if you had watched Bleach in the, like when it was airing, or if this is your first time like following along, uh, if like how you felt about the twists going in. Yeah, I would be uh, very interested in that as well. I generally just, like, I don't know. Like, season three has had its ups and downs. I want to know what people think about it. I want to hear I want to hear our listeners' opinions. I want to know. I want to know. Let's, uh, let's jump right into it, why don't we? Let's get right into it. So we are starting off with episode 60, Reality of the Despair. The assassin's dagger is swung. We open on actual details about Central 46, mainly that it is made up of 40 sages and 6 judges from across Soul Society. They are the highest court of Soul Society, and they can enforce their rulings by calling upon the Gote 13, Stealth Force, or the Keto Corps. Their rulings are so absolute that not even a captain can appeal. These are important details to be getting, seconds before Hitsugaya and Matsumoto walk in on the corpus vital that Central 46 has become. I- 
I just, I, I do think it is very funny. Like, I don't think it has been described, like, in this much detail until this exact moment. And I just think it's very funny that we're getting it literally as we're told, oh, they're all dead. Yeah, it is. I, like, it's mentioned, it's mentioned, like, in passing a little bit here and there. And, you know, we don't really need to get the details to know that, like, oh, these guys are, like, basically Congress or, like, they're basically, like, super important. But it is kind of weird to get the information that they're, like, not only are they the highest court in the land, but they're so high up that, like, their their orders are completely unappeal- unappealable even by a captain. It's like, that's a thing that we could have learned more than three seconds before seeing they were dead. Yeah, especially given that, like, wasn't Ukitake trying to appeal to them? Hitsugaya wanted to appeal to them? <laughs> like, yeah, like, both of them were like, yo, like, I know this isn't how we normally do things, but we need to go appeal to them directly. And it's like, oh, well, now we know that that's a thing that, like, doesn't fucking happen and that the fact that they were doing that was a big deal <laughs> yeah it's it's very very funny timing it's a massacre in there and hitsugaya checks the blood and notes its color and dryness meaning that they could not have been killed today or yesterday wondering when the slaughter must have taken place as the chamber was completely sealed off after the special wartime orders went live the defense system was engaged until today with no signs of forced entry he realizes that Central 46 has been dead for some time, and that all of the orders regarding Rukia's execution have been false, assuming that Gin Ichimaru is the culprit, but noting that one man would probably not be able to do all of this by himself. I'm a big fan of child inv- of super child investigator Hitsugaya <laughs> Toshiro. <laughs> I'm like, hell yeah. <laughs> he He's great. It's like, give me like a Detective Conan starring Toshiro... <laughs> Like, going around being like, hmm, this can't have happened like this because of this. Oh my god. We've all been duped. (laughs) I I would actually watch a fucking detective show starring Hitsugaya. I I would be into that. Uh, The captain is shocked when he sees Gin's lieutenant, Izuru Kira, who states that he knew Hitsugaya would show up. I, I did just scroll down way further than I expected to. That's that's nice. That, thank you, laptop. Hitsugaya demands to know if he is the one responsible, but Kira simply runs away, leading the captain and Matsumoto after him, while the figure stands behind the other entrance. The pursuit continues onto an incredibly long rooftop, as Hitsugaya questions Kira. He asks if Kira killed them, but Kira denies this, stating that he was let in only moments before Hitsugaya and Matsumoto showed up. Hitsugaya asks who let him in, only to receive the response, Why, Central 46, of course! <laughs> Kira states that the captain should be more concerned with Hinamori than with chasing him. The Kyomon barrier placed by Hitsugaya is easily broken from the inside, and Hinamori, being a Kido master, could have easily left and followed Hitsugaya while concealing her own spiritual energy. Hitsugaya asks Matsumoto to handle Kira before jumping off the building and heading back towards Central 46. I just really want to point out here, they are running across this rooftop for an incredibly long time, like, the entire time this conversation is going on. When Hitsugaya, like, jumps off of it, you can clearly see, like, where the building starts, which is very funny to me. Well, it's simple. Every time it closes in on like one of their faces, it they're cha- that's when they change buildings. Yeah, of course. That's that's, that's how that works. <laughs> I do want to point out that this it's like yet another moment where the show is like, you know, Momo, 
she's really fucking good at that keto bullshit. Like, absolute master. Like, you know, off screen. Yeah, just don't worry about it. She's a master. We're telling you she's a master. It's fine. Kidder smiles and stops running, asking if Matsumoto knows what a Zanpakuto can do. She says, no, you aren't the kind to give away that kind of information. He suggests that Hinamori and Renji probably know, and soon she will too. He releases his Shikai with the call, Raise Your Head Wabisuke, which is a sick fucking call. I love it. It's incredible. Like, both the call, the name, which means pen- penitent one, and the, uh, like, the shape of his Zanpakuto has always been, like, one of, like, like Kira's Zanpakuto is one of my favorite, like, things in this show, period. Same. Me too. Me too. <laughs> Every part about it is incredibly cool. The shape, the the call, the name, uh, like the way the shape is, where like the because the the it's it's a crook that goes at like three ninety degrees. It's kind, it's almost like a nine. It's a squared hook. Yeah, it's a squared hook, and the the blade is on the inside, and it's like whoa, that's really cool. What the fuck. <laughs> Wabisuke's ability is, quite frankly, maybe my favorite one in the entire show. Uh, like, not just of the ones that we've seen so far, but it's easily in, like, my top four, or in my top three or top five, like, skills that we're going to be seeing throughout the entire franchise. I want to say Sam, because I I really fucking love Wabisuke. Um, especially, like, I know we get more details on it, like, later, but, like, in particular, I I think the simplicity of its abilities is, like, what makes it so cool. Um, I, I, getting to that, his he attacks Matsumoto, and the two clash several times, and Matsumoto attempts to reason with him, but Kira stops and simply asks how many times she blocked his sword. As her Zanpakuto pulls her down towards the ground, shattering some tiles, he explains Wabisuke's power. It doubles the weight of whatever it hits, every time it hits, until the defender can no longer stand, groveling on the ground with their head bowed as if in penitence. It's so good. <laughs> like It's just, so fucking good. <laughs> just the whole thematic pa- uh, package is just like, just fucking great. Uh, and also like, it's really strong because, like, he has his uh, exchange with Matsumoto takes all of like three seconds, and then he backs away and he's like, "Bet you can barely hold your sword now, huh?" <laughs> My favorite part of this is he just like immediately goes, "Okay, let's assume your sword wear- weighs zero point eight. <laughs> let's assume your sword weighs zero point eight kilograms multiplied by two to the seventh power. Your sword would now be about." kilograms, or about 225 pounds, which you shouldn't be able to run with. (laughs) Matsumoto's just like, I'm not gonna carry it then. And then she releases her shikai, Haneko, as it evaporates into a cloud of ash, and then she like has a flashback to Gin leaving her when they were children. Yeah, Matsumoto's, um... Uh, Shikai is also is another like just really cool ability where it's like oh yeah it just turns into like this free flowing thing of ash where it's like I guess it's kind of like Byakuya's Shikai except it doesn't slice you it just kind of like hits into you yeah I mean I, I don't know that we know that many details about her abilities yet but I'm excited to learn more 
because it it does look very cool. Hinamori arrives at Central 46, stunned by the carnage. Wondering how Hitsugaya could have been so shocked if he truly was the one behind Aizen's murder, and then wondering about Kira, she's surprised by Gein, who approaches from behind, greeting her. He requests she follow him, and then he brings her to the sh- I- I'm gonna have to take a second to fucking pronounce this, because it's a long one. And he brings her to the Sejoto Kyorin. He asks if Hinamori has ever been here before, and she says no, because this area is off-limits. Upon entering a dark room, Gin states there is somebody he wants Hinamori to meet, telling her to turn around. She does so, and standing in the doorway is none other than the formerly deceased captain, her captain, Sosuke Aizen. He kindly and calmly asks her how she's doing she expresses disbelief that the captain she saw dead is standing here right before her, very much alive. She walks to him, grasping his howdy and crying, which leads Aizen to give his apologies for how hurt she must have been. He caresses her head, and she notes that this is really him. It's the same hands that heal her heart, the same smell. She asserts to herself that she knew Aizen wouldn't die, and that she shouldn't have lost hope. Aizen hugs her, holding her close, and noting that she's getting thin, apologizing once more for how badly he hurt her, but explaining it had to be her for him to remain hidden and to carry out his plans, which is why he faked his death and made sure she received his letter. Hinamori assures him it's alright, knowing he is alive and well is enough for her. Aizen thanks Hinamori. He tells her the time they had together was a joy for him, He's very grateful to have had such a wonderful subordinate. And then he says goodbye as he shoves his blade through her chest. Shocked into silence, she looks to her captain, whose kind eyes have grown callous, as he pulls his blade, leaving her to collapse on the ground. This part is so fucking much. It is a lot. The... So... You know, clearly both of us, like, remembered that this the turn was coming. Yes. And seeing this, I was, like, I was struck by how much, by how surprised I was at just how, like, warm and caring and, like, Captain Eisen-y he was when he shows up. Like, it, because it was very much like, ah, yeah, yeah, she's right. This is exactly the Captain Eisen she remembers. And then... He does the deed, and his eyes are just so cold. And it's like, there's barely any difference in the way that the two are drawn, but it's like, no, you feel it. It's, it's different. <laughs> it's, I, I was thinking the same thing about the way his eyes are drawn, because, like, you can see that same, like, warmth in them, almost, but it, it's more of, like, a smug, callous warmth, as if he thinks he's, like, above everybody. Um, it, it, it's very, very, very cool that it's just such a, it's such a slight difference, but it it makes a whole fucking world of difference, you know? Yeah. I do want to go ahead and, like, I, I, I do think it really, really sucks that, like, we haven't seen Hinamori really do anything except love Aizen and then get stabbed by Aizen. 
Uh, Master of the keto arts. <laughs> like, I understand why she would be, like, not as on guard around somebody she loves, but it's like, I, I feel like she would have at least put up some, some semblance of a fight, as opposed to just getting stabbed and murdered. I don't mind so much that she like easily gets betrayed and like gets a uh, gets stabbed uh like that part with how they've built up her relationship to Eisen like that makes total sense my my issue is mostly just like that she has done nothing like momo has been a punching bag this entire season she's done basically nothing except like jump at hitsugaya and get punched out of the sky um, yeah <laughs> like i think that was the most active she's been this entire show uh, oh no, she made Kira's hand bleed, I think, once when he blocked her sword. Like, she's done literally nothing else in this show, except for the flashback episode where uh, she was acting in concert with with uh, Renji and Kira. And, like, it really sucks, because she doesn't get any good moments other than this, basically. Um, and it's like... Like, this scene, you could have had this exact scene and changed literally nothing, but have more, like, Momo doing stuff throughout the season, and I think this scene would have been much better for it, basically. I actually really agree with you. I think, um, I think part of, like, now that, now that I'm hearing you say this, I, I think what would have made this scene work better for me, because I did enjoy this scene. I thought it was a very, very good scene. Uh, I just think it, it would have been more effective if we, like, cared about Hinamori because you're right we haven't seen her do anything and like I feel like there's just not enough like emotional ties to her for it to actually make like as big an impact as it could have yeah because the big problem is she spent a third of this arc unconscious a third of this arc in prison and then the rest, she was either, she was mostly off screen and presumed to be unconscious until we just recently learned that she wasn't. And it's a lot because we also have Rukia, who is far more important to the story and to the main characters, who is also like just a character to be rescued. So we're not thinking about Momo in those terms because we're, we're kind of like diverting that energy to Rukia. And then Momo is like, well, she's also kind of in a similar position where she's mostly unconscious, mostly not really affecting the plot uh, proper, um, unless she's being duped, and then she has, like, one moment of action, and then gets knocked out. Uh, so it's like, it really sucks. Like, I, I just wish Momo got more to do uh, before this whole happened. It, it really would have helped the scene, like, land harder. Uh, not Like, the scene itself is really good. Like, the twi I think the twist... Uh, the first time I saw this scene, the twist, I was like, holy shit, what is happening uh, throughout yeah. this entire scene? And then I was like, oh, may I, maybe Gin's a good guy? Like, what's going on? And then he stabs her, and I'm like, holy shit, Aizen's a bad guy after all! What the fuck? Um, but, you know, even back then, I was like, well, like, I'm sad Momo's apparently dead, I guess, but she didn't. she hasn't done anything. Like, it's hard to, like, get attached to the character. She hasn't, she really hasn't done much. Um, I don't want to harp on this too much, also. No, like. it, it, it's okay. It's okay. I feel like, like, a big arc like this kind of, like, warrants it. I do... I do think, like, this discussion is probably going to continue into next episode, because, like, while, while we have, like, a lot to go over, 
I, I think uh, this th- con- consistent bleach thing of, hey, these women sure are just plot devices to further the men's story, am I right? Uh, I, <laughs> like That kind of really continues into next episode, which is a shame, because there is some really interesting stuff that goes on in these two episodes. Agreed. We do get a quick cut to Unahana and her lieutenant Isane as they approach the central chamber. Uh, and then we immediately cut back to Aizen smiling as he walks outside the room with Gein. Hitsugaya arrives on the scene and is shocked to see a dead man standing. Aizen says, hello, yes, it's really me. Gein is surprised that Hitsugaya is back so soon. Uh, he apologizes and states that Kira must have failed in his mission. Hitsugaya's like, what the hell are you talking about? And Aizen's like, we're talking about dividing and conquering. It's a basic tactic. We just, you know, it's effective at weakening the enemy. I just I just love this bit where he's like, what the fuck are you whispering about over there? And Aizen's like, <laughs> look, we're just talking, stra- we're talking basic strategy. Come on, you know, divide and conquer. It's the easiest way to beat your enemy. You know, we're just talking shop over here. What's your problem? <laughs> It's it's pretty good. Uh, Hitsugaya does immediately after just, like, go, where's Hinamori? And Aizen, like, you should already know that. Hitsugaya just, like, rushes past the two captains and finds Hinamori's body. And Aizen's like, oh, wow, this must suck for you. Oh, I'm sorry you had to find out this way. Ooh, I should have, like, cut her up a bit more and, like, hidden the pieces. Maybe then... Oh, this is awkward. Hitsugaya asks how long Gin and Aizen have been working together, to which Aizen explains, It has been since the beginning. Ever since he became a captain, he has never once considered anybody except Gin to be his lieutenant. This, this is, like, a pretty alright revelation. I don't want to, like, dwell on it too much, but, like, knowing Aizen's been, like, they, they've been working together since the beginning. It, it's a good detail. Yeah, and it's like, oh, like, he's been, all the sniping and shit from earlier, like, all that is all part of the plan. And the plan's been going on for fucking years and years and years. And then, and we'll get more of this later, because it's actually been going on for, like, several decades. Oh yeah, it, it's a lot. Hitsugaya accuses Aizen of deception, but the traitor explains that he has never seen it as such. He's simply thought of it as nobody realizing his true identity. Hitsukai reminds him that Hinamori admired him, working to become a Soul Reaper purely because of him. How could you be so cruel? Aizen states that this is what made Hinamori so easy to manipulate. After all, admiration is the state furthest from understanding. Furious with this answer, Hitsugaya destroys the surrounding area in a blast of energy and unleashes his Bankai, Daigurin Hyorenmaru. It is so badass. It is a dragon of ice encasing his right arm. It's like, straight up like he has a dragon attached to him. It's like really fucking cool. Yeah, like he's got two massive wings and like, but the I think the wings are are like sort of coming out they're coming out of the part like where he, where his shoulder is where like the dragon's connecting to his body and then mm-hmm. like there's like a giant tail that just keeps going and there's these giant ice formations behind him like just everything looks fucking great <laughs> please 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 tell me there's like a really cool like two page spread of this 
I have it saved. It's open right here in front of me. Don't worry. It's coming. It's coming to you at the end of this episode. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> that was like literally my first thought when I saw this. I'm like, this looks really cool. Give me that two page spread. Um, overall, it's just kind of badass as fuck. <laughs> he immediately is like, I am going to kill you. Uh, and Unahana and Isane just, like, kind of show up at this point. Uh, Aizen's like, don't make such worthless threats, it makes you look weak, as Hitsugaya attacks, stabbing him in the chest and encasing him in ice. The Aizen within the ice smiles, while the real Aizen strikes, appearing behind him and leaving Hitsugaya to collapse. Ice is out of season, but it's nice to see it this time of year says Aizen, suggesting to Gein that they leave. I love that he has this little one-liner here. <laughs> I, I'm going to I'm going to mention this like in next episode, but Aizen's like dialogue is incredible throughout both of these episodes. Like Oh he has, for sure. He has thrown off the shackles of politeness and has become the snarkiest bitch in this universe. <laughs> it's actually wonderful. Like uh Aizen has just done a complete 180 to being, like, the coldest bitch, and I'm like, I'm here for it, honestly. I'm I am here for this villain right now. Unahana states that she thought she would find Captain Aizen here, before correcting herself, stating that she shouldn't refer to him as a captain anymore. After all, he's just a traitor. Aizen asks if it really took her this long to find him, while Unahana states that this, uh, while Unahana states that the Shijoto Kyorin be- is the only place that is absolutely off-limits in the Seirete, and that makes it the perfect hiding place for somebody using a corpse doll to fake his death. Aizen's like, well, you're almost right. He holds his fake body in his hand, with a shocked Unahana asking when he ha- like, when he started holding it. Aizen's like, what? I've been holding it the entire time! I just haven't shown you until now. Trust me, you'll- you'll get it soon. And then he releases his shikai, Kyoka Suigetsu, causing the body to burst and revealing his zanpakuto held upside down in his hand. He lets go in a very Byakuya-esque move, and it embeds itself into the ground. He explains its ability as perfect hypnosis. Isane is in disbelief, stating that he brought the lieutenants together and showed them how Kyoka Suigetsu is actually a water-type zanpakuto, that uses reflections of fog and water to confuse enemies into attacking each other. But Unohana realizes that this is when he hypnotized everyone. Aizen details that it disrupts all five senses, allowing him to show its victims whatever he wants, and that it is activated upon seeing the release. Even seeing it once is enough. The hypnosis returns every time he releases Kyoko Suigetsu, and Unohana is mortified by the implications of needing to see the release as Aizen confirms her assumptions. Kaname Tosin has been his subordinate since the beginning. Okay, so I I do really like the reveal of his Zanpakuto's abilities. I do think it is kind of shitty that the only black captain and also the blind captain is, like, used in this way. Yeah, like, it makes for an effective twist, because he's one of the captains who you're like, oh, yeah, like, he's really fighting for justice, and, like, he hates Zoraki and all that. Uh, so it's like, you don't you don't expect him to be the, to, to turn, but at the same time, it's like, 
come on, Kubo-ling. <laughs> if you're only going to have, like, one and a half black people in your in your series, maybe, like, one of them shouldn't be the evil turncoat. Yeah. Um, also, like, this is just, like, a minor nitpick. Like, I, I am happy we do get these details of, like, the lieutenants being together and, like, seeing Kyokus Wigetsu being a water-type Zanpakuto and all that. I, I kind of wish we had seen this, like, in a flashback or something. Like, uh, just, I, I think, like, it would have been nice to be able to have, like, all of these pieces so that, like, we as, like, the viewer could maybe piece it together as it was going on, you know? But that's a minor gripe. I think it's cool. Yeah, like, because we do, we do get a couple of scenes, uh, at least in the anime, where, like, like we see him visiting the academy and that kind of stuff. Like, we see that he's very friendly to Renji after he leaves his uh, his squad. So it's like, you get the impression that Aizen is more friendly than the other captains. Uh, so it would, it, like, completely makes sense to be a believable thing where he's like, all right, everyone, I just, like, this is just a formality. I want to make sure that everyone in the, uh, I want to make sure that all the vice captains are aware, like, here's my shikai, here's how it works, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's probably something he does to everyone, like, it's probably, like, a thing that he does in his squad as well. Like, everyone who shows up at the squad probably gets this uh, little speech. Um, and he pr- he probably pretends that it's, like, a, like, understanding how mine will work might help you unleash yours kind of thing for anyone who yeah. shows up in his uh, squad. You know, that kind of stuff. So it's like, it makes sense for the character, but yeah, like, it would have been nice to just have, like, a flashback at some point, just be like, oh, yeah, like, maybe even when they were mourning him, like, uh, uh, Captain Eisen was always, like, I can't believe he's gone, he was always, like, super nice to us, like, he even took the time to, like, show us all his shikai to, as, like, a bonding activity for all the vice captains or whatever, I don't know. Yeah, it, would, it, would, it just would have been nice to, like, have that kind of information just there. We cut to a part of the Serite where Renji is running and holding Rukia. Ahead of them is Tosin, and Renji questions why he's here, as Tosin spins a long cloth around all of them. Gin does the same with himself and Aizen, the latter praising Unahana as feeling any amount of suspicion while under his Zanpakuto's hypnosis at all is quite a feat. He says goodbye, stating he'll, not, he'll likely never see any of them again, as he and Gin vanish. Renji is surprised to find himself kneeling on Sokyoku Hill when Tozen stops spinning the cloth as Aizen appears, welcoming him. He tells Renji to put Rukia down and to leave, ending the episode. It's such like a, a like, re- put yourself in Renji's shoes here for a minute and just be like, <laughs> oh, Captain Tozen? That's weird. Like, I wasn't expecting to run into you here. Uh, pay no attention to the Rukia that I'm carrying. Oh shit, I got <laughs> teleported back to my starting point. Aizen, are you fucking dead? Gin? Ah oh, shit. <laughs> what is this? Why are three captains here and where is everyone else? <laughs> yeah, it's it's actually kind of hilarious on one <laughs> hand, but like, poor Renji, dude. <laughs> Just like, the worst. <laughs> Uh, I do hate that Rukia is, like, in this episode and gets no lines. She gets no lines. She gets no motions. She's, she, she could literally be, and, like, literally be replaced by a lamp in this episode. Like, yep. <laughs> just Renji and his expensive lamp. Uh, let's go ahead and get into the manga changes. So, not, there's not really any changes uh, in this one. 
Oh no, there there is like one line read that I thought it was it's translated a little differently. That's uh, kind of interesting. Uh, but one thing is, one of the chapters is called like the chapter where um, uh, Matsumoto and Kira fight. It's called "Why Should I Answer to a Dead Woman," <laughs> which oh. is uh, which is Kira's like answer to her when uh, when they start fighting, and she's asking questions. Uh, one thing I'm just posting this in podcast chat. There's a chapter break when. Gin shows up behind Momo, and it is the most, like, serial killer horror movie-ass shit that I've ever seen. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's fucking terrifying. Like, because he just, it's a full page, no dialogue, just Gin is suddenly behind her, and she, like, she notices that he's behind her, and then he leans in next to her here, and he's like, hello, Momo. And then the last panel is of the second page is just Hitsugaya's face like fuck I have to get back to Momo and he's running at full speed and that's the last it's also the last uh, panel of the volume because that that finished volume two and the next episode and the several uh, next episode then the next two episodes are like the last volume they're like all three together make one volume that's wow yeah no I'm seeing this to be continued in volume 20 that is a place to end a volume Jesus yeah, and then we also get uh, the Bankai, so Toshiro's Bankai, which looks sick as hell in the manga. Oh, oh my god, that is it's so inc- cool! It is incredible, and it's like it doesn't look nearly as good in the anime, and it looks great in the anime. So it's like, wow, good job, Kubo. Uh, and then the only other difference, uh, which is just like a small translation thing, in um, when Kira's, like, explaining the weights of, like, hey, I hit your sword seven times, so it's multiplied by two by two to the seventh power, etc., etc., etc. In the anime, he's like, well, not exactly light, you know? And then she's like, well, it, what if I don't need to hold it? Then it's not a problem. And then she explo- she makes it explode. In, in the manga, the, the conversation is not exactly a nimble weight. <laughs> so what? I don't intend to twirl it like a baton. I'm going to hit you with it. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good <laughs> I love that I love that Matsumoto is implying that she's like I don't care if it's heavy as shit I'm going to beat you I'm going to beat the shit out of you with it Like, <laughs> and then she just makes it turn to, into ash so it doesn't really matter uh, I'm, just... I'm very hyped to see their fight I hope it's actually good um, do we actually get their fight who knows we'll find out next week um uh... <laughs> Like, so much is fucking happening. Oh, man. I know. We uh, find out next episode. <laughs> uh, and on that note, we should probably take a five-minute break. Well, let's take our five-minute break. So let's get back into it with episode 61, Eisen Stands, Horrible Ambitions. And uh, a quick uh, apology, because this episode has a ton of exposition, and I probably should have given, like, another pass or two uh, through my notes to, like, make them more... um, make them more comprehensible, but essentially there's a whole lot of talking and a whole lot of, like, of details that I wanted to make sure that even the people who aren't watching 
can follow, and in so doing, may have made this resume completely unfollowable. So, apologies in advance if uh, this is just completely lost. <laughs> we'll break it down. We'll we'll do it. We'll we'll get through it. We start the episode with Renji wondering what the fuck is happening, uh, beginning to ask Aizen about his resurrection, but quickly latching on to the order he'd been given, and he's like, wait, hold on. <laughs> Something's not right here. Aizen berates him, ordering him away from Ruki again, while back inside the Central 46, uh, Isana uses some tracking keto to know where Aizen is. She's like, oh, uh, he's at these coordinates, and turns out that's Sokyoku Hill. Unohana tells her to track down every captain, every vice-captain, and Ryoka to appraise them of the situation while she attempts to save Hitsugaya and Hinamori's lives. And we're treated to, like, this really badass, cool sequence of Isane casting her keto spell. Like, she's she's got these, like, um, ink, ink marks, like, just appearing everywhere on her arms, and then they fly out and just do this pattern in the middle air, and then everybody that she was trying to get connected just gets, um... Like, she finishes the spell, and she starts talking to everyone as if she was going through a grocery store loudspeaker. Uh, we get a quick reaction shot of pretty much everybody reacting before just this absolutely wonderful one of Rangiku jumping away from Kira, who is halfway through a wall. Like, she just completely wrecked the boy. It is a really, really cool sequence. I wish we had seen Kita Master Hinamori doing something like this cool. I bet she knows the spell and some other really cool ones. She is a master, after all. Absolutely. <laughs> Kira, meanwhile, not doing so well, uh, since it looks like Gin had promised him that Hinamori wouldn't be hurt, and uh, then we're we're basically just treated to a few more reaction shots of various captains, some of which are in various states of undress. We don't need to dwell on that. Let's go back to Sokyoku Hill, <laughs> where Aizen... I, I, I- I'm, I'm gonna really quickly just mention, we do see Mayuri here, and it sucks. That's it. That's it. That's all I'm dwelling on it. He's back. It's been three days. All right. Back on Sokyuku Hill. Aizen menacingly steps forward, continuing his streak of sick one-liners as he tells Renji he'll take his feelings into consideration and allow Rukia to stay in his arms. But the rest of him has got to go. <laughs> I loved this line. <laughs> like... Like, you really see throughout this entire episode, Aizen has just, like, leveled up his petty insults, and it's a delight. Um, do you think Do you think this entire time Aizen's been, like, deceiving everybody, do you think he's just been, like, mentally writing down, like, a checklist of insults to say to people? Wait, I have a joke in the recap about this later. <laughs> wait, oh, just wait God. for it. Renji manages to dodge a first blow, but is still severely wounded, destroyed both by Aizen's strength and the line, It's difficult to step on an ant without crushing it. <laughs> he says he'd rather not kill Renji if he can help it, and Rukia tries talking, but she doesn't get to have lines in this arc, I guess. Um, no, so, Renji inst- so Renji instead just asks, like, okay, well, why did Hinamori have to die if you don't want to kill me? And Aizen's response is both disgusting and chilling. He trained her to be so reliant on him that she couldn't live without him, so her murder was a mercy. Although he'd hoped that she'd have died earlier in the arc, so he wouldn't have had to do it himself. Just absolutely despicable villain. It's, it's like, effective. It's really good. Jesus Christ. 
Renji says Aizen's not the captain he knew and that he'll never give up Rukia. And Aizen responds that that captain was the illusion all along. Renji attacks, unleashing Zapimaru, but between his state and Aizen's strength, his attacks do nothing, the captain easily blocking the blow barehanded and shattering Zapimaru to pieces. Renji falls to his knees even as Aizen explains his plan, how he had seen, like all the way back at the academy, he had seen promise in Renji, Momo, and Kira, and that's why he had handpicked them and gotten them all assigned to his squad. But Renji was a little troublesome, so he sent him to a different one. And he kept, uh, he kept the other two as his and Gin's subordinates. He gives Renji his final warning, and again Rukia attempts to have agency, only to be interrupted by Renji making a stand. But just as Aizen's sword descends, Ichigo's black blade blocks the blow. That was a lot of alliteration there. <laughs> and it's like it's a double letter alliteration, which is nice. I thought it was. Yeah, that was that, that was quite lovely, Sam. Thank you for that. Thank you, thank you. Um, God, I wish Rukia got like stuff to do she does one thing this episode which immediately made me furious that she doesn't have the strength apparently to do anything else god renji begins to thank ichigo and in the most ichigo manner like possible he gives him a hard time he's like oh are are you like too tired to carry rukia is that why you're on your knees like oh renji's a little too weak to do his job i have to fight your fucking captain my guy and the two get so into their argument that Rukia nearly suffocates in Renji's manly bosom. <laughs> in a bit that I really enjoyed, Gin apologizes to Aizen because he's like, well, you know, I didn't want to interfere, so I just figured uh, I'd let the boy through. It's fine. <laughs> and Aizen, he spouts off some, like, JRPG final boss line because he's like, it's fine. It doesn't matter whether there's one piece of dust to brush off or two. It's and I actually the best. <laughs> Like, and here's where I start seriously wondering if the scroll work that he was doing way back when was actually just reading up on and improving his sick line reads. <laughs> okay, I'm really, <laughs> I'm really glad we had the same fucking thought here. <laughs> I'm just like, yes, Aizen's been studying day while you have been studying the sword. To, to be clear, the, the one thing that Rukia gets to do this entire episode is punching Renji in the face for smothering her. That's literally it. Yeah, like, she's a character. Give her stuff to do. <laughs> Please. Please. Now, of course, uh, Aizen, being a JRPG final boss, gets Ichigo's attention. Uh, so he asks Renji if he's got any strength to run away, and Renji says, uh, pfft, not really. Uh, we'll stay and fight, and it'll be, uh, you know, the, like, we can't run away from them. They're, it's three captains, goddamn. Both of us are dying. So, you know, we can at least, like, try to fight, stop them for a little bit. And he says that he'll, he has a technique that he'll only be able to use it once. But it should be strong enough to give Ichigo an opening. He asks Zabimaru to hang in there, and he sends energy to all fragments of his blade, making them fly up independently and zoom at Aizen from all directions. Uh, surprising all three of the captains. Like, all three of them react like, wait, what the fuck's happening? It's like Senpanzakura, except bigger, and not as, a, not as interesting. I do like the like I do like the comparison to Senpanzakura, because I think it's like, this is probably a thing that he thought up while watching Byakuya fight. Oh, for um, sure. Uh, so as he's doing his his big attack, Ichigo rushes in with the big triumphant riff of number one playing, 
only for all sound to stop as Ichigo as Aizen blocks his blade with a finger, countering with a slash that would have sliced him in half if it wasn't so shallow. Renji doesn't get a get, doesn't get to react to Ichigo falling, Aizen appearing behind him having already cut him down, and soon enough the ex captain is in front of Rukia, forcing her to stand. Like both of them just get completely chumped. It it is actually like. It is both a very cool sequence and also kind of an unintentionally funny sequence because the music does just literally immediately stop as Aizen puts a finger to Ichigo's sword. It is, it's cool, but it is also very jarring how suddenly the music stops and I did laugh a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it's like, hey, remember when um, Renji, like just a couple of episodes earlier, tried to fight Byakuya and Byakuya like like, literally shrugged off his blade, because that's how weak Renji was. Uh, both of them are kind of in this situation, and Aizen's not... Aizen's not giving them mercy. He even tells Ichigo that having too much life force without the skill to back it up won't help him. Uh, and we learn that the direction Ichigo's group came from, Gin's presence at the gates, their usage of the Kukaku cannon, all of it was part of Aizen's plan. And thanks to the Ryoka, he was able to easily fake his death. Ichigo asks how the fuck Aizen knew all of this? <laughs> and he's like, uh, duh, that's where Kisuke, that's where Urahara's base of operation is. Obviously, like, did he send you? Did he not tell you what the fuck you were doing here? I I actually really like this reveal. I think it's pretty good. I, I like, the information we're going to get, I'm pretty alright with. Uh, I do have some gripes with it, but I, I'm gonna let you speak. I'm I'm gonna let you just go ahead and get through this. A lot to get through. Uh, at this point, he, Aizen is in full villain mode, so, you know, why not tell Ichigo his entire plan? He, first, he gives us a little bit of, like, extra Soul Reaper lore. There's four skill sets that they have, uh, which more or less is, like, sword skills, spells, quick movement skills, and then, like, hand-to-hand -hand combat. And at a certain point, there's a limit to how good you can get in any of them. But there's also a limit to how, like, how a single person can get good at all of them. A point where you just, you know, stop getting stronger. And he calls it the limit of Soul Reapers. Aizen's after a way to get past those limits. And his research basically came up with, oh, it's simple, you just need to become a hollow. From a Shinigami to hollow, or hollow to Shinigami... Making the switch will lead to more growth. Over the years, he's tried to make Hollow into Shinigami, like the Hollows that could hide their spirit pressure that ambushed Renji's class, for example. Or the Hollow that could destroy Zanbakuto and fuse with Soul Reapers that killed Kayan. All the experiments he considers failures. So it's like, oh, uh, Aizen's been, like... Aizen's been planning this, more or less, since, like, the last, like, 50 or 60 years or something. It, it has been a long time in the works. Like, it, it has been a long con. Yeah, and then he says all of his experiments failed until Kisuke Urahara found a way. He created the Hogyoku, which could remove the barrier between Shinigami and Hollow. But upon realizing just how dangerous it was, like, essentially he, like, built it on a lark. And then he was like, wait, hold on. <laughs> this? <laughs> Actually, uh, not good. And then realized he couldn't destroy it. So when he couldn't destroy it, he re he tried hiding it deep within a soul. Specifically, Rukia's soul. 
by the time Aizen realized what was happening, Rukia was already lost in the human world. And he knew that Urahara was behind it because the whole point of his exile previously was that he had created a perfectly untraceable fake body. Uh, so the only way that Rukia could be un like untraceable is if she was dead or hiding in a body in one of those fake bodies. And the other reason that Urahara was exiled is that that special Gigai, it breaks down a Soul Reaper's soul, weakening them until they become fully human. Aizen continues his monologuing, but uh, Captain Komamura arrives on the scene with a sword the size of a building, and the episode ends. I do want to say, I, I think it is incredibly funny that the episode just ends, like, mid-explanation of what the fuck's going on. Um, I realize they couldn't really, like, extend the runtime, but it is very funny that the episode just ends here, because it's like, the, oh, we're having lore dump? Okay. Lore dump, lore dump, lore dump. Sword! Episode ends. <laughs> but And also, like, the... Because, like, he starts another explanation is is the really funny part here. Because, like, he starts the explanation and then Komamura shows up and he's like, no, fuck you. <laughs> so, I do... Okay, I, I want to say I do like the whole, like, Gigai explanation because it does retroactively make the fact that, like, Rukia is not getting stronger make sense. I do not like that it is also... Oh, Rukia has just been a plot device this whole time. Yeah, and it's like, like, we, since the start of the show, there had been, like, hints and pieces, because, you know, like, Rukia would mention, like, hey, it's weird that I'm not getting my power back. <coughs> or it's like, it's weird that, like, I feel weaker than I did yesterday, and that kind of stuff, and it's like, they were hinting at it. But it's still, like, in the end, it's an excuse for... It's it's literally like Aizen's looking for the mystical MacGuffin and turns out it is it was inside Rukia all along. But like physically, like it's a physical object that is hiding inside of her. Uh, should I go on to the manga differences this time? Yeah, go ahead and go on to the manga differences. So one of the like small differences in this one is Orihime doesn't get the message from Isane because she's the only character who didn't who was never caught. She was never in jail. So Izani has no fucking clue who she is. <laughs> okay, that's actually kind of a nice little detail. Like as part of Division Four, she has she like she's treated or has seen uh, people in her division treat the wounds of everyone else because everyone else got captured, <laughs> and she saw and fought like Ichigo himself. Uh, but Orihime was just completely scot free the entire time. So she, so everyone's like reacting, and she's like. Uh, what's happening? <laughs> it's it's pretty good. That's that's good. I I am here for that. <laughs> uh, Aizen has a reaction to Renji knowing about Momo because he also doesn't get the message. But he's like, oh, th that spirit pressure earlier, that was the intercom spell. All right, I get it. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> I, I I actually... I, I, I'm... Well, I'm stuttering a lot. Uh, I'm just kind of saying... You know, I think it is pretty cool that that spell is very specific to the people, like, she knows about. Like, that is a really cool detail. Yeah, like, she has to actively think of the people that she is sending it to. It's um, like a death note, but in instead of killing people, it's just to tell them <laughs> things. 
Exactly. Uh, it's a when he's talking, note. <laughs> you know, like a normal note. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a it's a normal note. That's that's a good one. Normal note. Uh, when he's talking about how Urahara like made the Hogyoku, he he basically says that like he's not the only one doing like this kind of research, and a bunch of other people tried to do this research, but they were hindered by ignorance and ethics. <laughs> In the end, no one was successful until Kisuke Urahara, <laughs> working outside the Soul, Sci- the Soul Society's scientific community, he created a substance that could remove the barrier between Hollows and Soul Reapers in an instant. <laughs> like Kisuke basically saw the problem, say, thought, "I wonder if I could fix this," and then he did it. <laughs> and then he went, "Oh fuck! What have I done? This was a mistake. Oops." I, I that is. Probably the most Kisuke Urahara thing to do. <laughs> it's a very, honest. like, researcher thing to do. Like, ir- like irresponsible researcher thing. Where, like, he doesn't... He he absolutely didn't uh, think about, like, the ramifications of the research that he was doing. He just, like, saw the problem, tried to fix it, accidentally fixed it, and said, Oh, fuck. Should not have done this. Oops. Uh, and then I just want to bring to attention... The end of chapter uh, panels, like the the like corner illustrations, because uh, we get one at the end of the chapter where he stabs Momo. We get a crushed lily that has like blood dripping on it. At the end of the chapter where he takes out Toshiro, we get a floating shattered ice crystal that's also like just, like bleeding. When Renji shows up. Uh, we get the we get a picture of a baboon staring down. I think it's supposed to be a wall of blood. The chapter where like. the chapter where Renji gets his shit pushed in is the baboon like slamming its face against the wall. The chapter where Ichigo shows up and like blocks the blow and saves Renji, that is a blood covered baboon and a black moon in the sky facing off against the wall. The chapter where both of them get wrecked by Aizen in less than a second. Uh, it's the same image, except both of them are, like, j- like shattered. Like, fragmented, shattered. It looks like they're exploding. And then the chapter where Komamura shows up with his sword, we see a large fox facing off against the same, like, blood wall. It's like, oh, this entire sequence is terrifying. It's, like, really cool. Uh, Jesus Christ. Like, I, I did not realize the context until you told me just now, and now I'm just like, oh, oh, no. Yeah, like, it's just, it's each of these chapters, as the people get, like, brutally defeated one after another, it's just, like, the little end of chapter, like, silhouette is, like, exemplifying them with, like, symbols. <laughs> it's like, oh. Oh, God. And it does continue until the end of the chapters that... Like, until the end of the volume, basically. So, until the end of the season. Like, there's... So, there's going to be another batch of these next week. Um, yeah. We are coming up on the end of Season 3. Uh, next week, again, is going to be our Season 3 finale. And then we are finally, finally getting to Bount Town. The countdown to Bount Town is two weeks. We're almost there. Two weeks. Two weeks. And then, finally, we will have... Some weird ass, weird ass shenanigans happening. I'm not oh, going to be man. able to talk about the manga differences because the manga differences will be this doesn't exist in the manga. 
can I just ask you every week, hey, what are the manga differences this week, Sam? And then you go, this doesn't exist. I mean, you can. Don't know how long I'll keep answering the same way. (laughs) Maybe I'll start ignoring you after a while. And I'll just say, well, time for the break. (laughs) That's pretty good. We'll see. So... You can find us on Twitter at BleachCast. You can email us with any questions, comments, or feedback at iwobleachcast at gmail.com. Please, please, please send in anything, any thoughts. We want to know what you think about the Eisen Twist. We want to we want to know how you reacted when you first watched Bleach. We want to know how you're reacting if you're just watching it now or if you're coming through it with the sh- with our show. Um, we, we want to hear from you. Uh, you, you have until like Sunday, uh, to Sunday at 11 a.m. PST to like send in things. And then we will probably, it'll probably be a little too late by then. Uh, if you don't, uh, but we really, really hope you do. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Lavender underscore pause. And you can find me on Twitter at SSBSLJ. And potential, like, maybe next week i'm not entirely certain but potentially next week i might be guesting on the metawatch podcast oh shit the premiere metabots podcast metawatch is very very good please 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 go listen to it uh i am going to immediately jump into editing this episode uh because we do drop tomorrow so. i mean uh, you know what? I believe in you. Somewhat. Knock on wood. Knock on wood. I, w- I, can do I will it. not bl- I will not blame you. I'm not gonna say that you can't do it. I'm just gonna say I will not blame you in any way, shape, or form if it ends up being a day late. Well, I can't do it a day late, because guess what? Tomorrow, you know, uh Thursday, tomorrow, don't have you a time. Did this yet to yourself. Be- <laughs> Listen. Tomorrow, you did Thursday. this to yourself, and this is your fault. <laughs> I can't postpone it by a day, because I have another podcast coming out in a day, because premiering the first episode of Guardians of the Kuhuligzi, that is happening tomorrow, Thursday. I do not have a time yet. We will figure that out. We're getting you, deci- there. <laughs> you decided to make this podcast three weeks ago. You could have recorded that podcast at any time in those three weeks, and edited I- it at any time in those three weeks. This is this is your fault. <laughs> Never mind. I have no more pity. Whatever. <laughs> I take everything back. I I've just been shushed by my wife for being. I am sorry for being so loud, honey. I I'm just having a good time being just completely embarrassed on my podcast by my good friend Sam, who is my co-host. Let's let's fucking stop recording. Stay cool, chats. In the end, no one was successful.
私なんだ